Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and it is a glorious day where I am on the 17th of October 2021 and I hope it's a glorious day where you are as well. There is of course some great news for people in Tasmania, in Victoria and in New South Wales today. Tasmania of course is in the second day of its three-day lockdown after a person from New South Wales came into the state, refused to call with contact traces and was found to have COVID-19. The good news for people in Tasmania is that there have been no new cases of COVID-19 associated with that outbreak and hopefully they'll be able to come out of lockdown tomorrow. The good news for people in New South Wales, particularly for parents with school-aged children, is that their children will be going back to school tomorrow. That's Monday. And of course, in Victoria, we've heard today that we will be reopening at midnight on Thursday or Friday late at night, if you like, uh, next week. This is great news for millions of Australians right across the eastern seaboard. And of course, in Queensland, they've had zero new cases of COVID today as well. So great news right across the board there. Of course, COVID has not yet gone away. And as much as we're pleased to see the reopening of so much of the eastern seaboard, and of course, WA continues to have no cases, uh, there are many, many cases still in the community. Victoria today had 1,838 cases and sadly seven people died. And quite troubling in New South Wales, while there were only 301 cases reported, there were 10 people who passed away. Now we will see these numbers continue to bounce around. We'll continue to see people pass away, hopefully not at this sort of level. These sorts of numbers would place COVID in a much more deadly bracket of viral infection than just about anything else we experience in Australia. Hopefully we'll start to see that come down as more and more people are being vaccinated. We are seeing the numbers, the 70% target, the 80% target of people over 16 be exceeded massively. First doses are in the 90s, the mid to high 90s across much of the country. Some of the states, Queensland, WA, I'm looking your direction, are only just starting to get that real ramp up. Of course, they haven't had the big drivers that we've had in Victoria and New South Wales because they haven't had the kinds of outbreaks we've had, and hopefully they won't have to have them. So, look... There's lots of good news on COVID. It's interesting as well that the since we last spoke on Wednesday, two Victorians have been sentenced to jail time in Perth for sneaking into Western Australia to watch the grand final. There's been a lot of outrage about this. Look, my view is very simple. The laws are there to protect the people of WA. It was very, very clear you couldn't go to see the grand final without particular permissions. These two individuals decided that the law didn't apply to them, and now the people of WA have decided the law applies at pretty much its full force. I know that there are more major crimes, and thankfully these two individuals didn't spread COVID throughout WA, but imagine if they had. Imagine if they had actually infected thousands of people, if there had been 10 deaths a day as a result of their negligent and selfish actions. And that's really what the law is there to remind us, that in fact... This was not a victimless crime and, in fact, could have been a mass crime. So 
While hopefully they don't have to serve their full term and they've learned a very important lesson and others will not replicate their behaviour, I think it is important that the laws that are there to protect us are followed. Interestingly, talking about the laws that are in place to protect us, there's been a lot of talk this week from Josh Frydenberg. People will know Josh Frydenberg as the Treasurer of Australia, one of uh, Scott Morrison's ministers. And quite frankly, Josh Frydenberg, while being from Victoria and being Melbourne-based, you might think he's actually from somewhere else. Because for the last 18 months to two years, he has attacked and attacked and attacked Victoria for trying to keep people safe. His latest attempt, an op-ed in the Herald Sun, essentially said that Victoria should throw out the national roadmap and do what Dom Perrottet is doing. Now, Dan Andrews has not done that. He has refused to do that, and quite rightly so. Josh Frydenberg has done this numerous times over the course of the pandemic. He has attacked Victorians. He has withheld support for Victoria. He has tried to make out as though somehow or another Victorians are less deserving than people in other states of support and help because we have a Labor government. So what is Josh Frydenberg's problem? Well, folks, Josh Frydenberg's problem is that Josh Frydenberg's not very good at his job. Josh Frydenberg has to be one of the worst treasurers this country has ever had. On top of scandal after scandal after scandal, where billions of dollars of taxpayers' money has been wasted allowing the nationals to pork barrel various seats around the country, he wasted $40 billion, $40 billion giving JobKeeper money to already profitable companies. He put no provisions to claw that money back into the legislation and now defends it as somehow or another a good thing. He effectively, as one person put it, let the foxes design the chicken coop. Well, not only did they design the chicken coop, they certainly took advantage of all the holes in the fences. He's also responsible for the Job Maker program. This was a multi-billion dollar program that when it was announced was declared would create 450,000 jobs for Australians under the age of 30. This was revised only a few months after it was announced to 45,000 jobs. And as of last week, over a year after it was announced, and well beyond the time frame of when it was supposed to have created those jobs, it's created fewer than 5,300 jobs. A total abject failure of a program. And it's not as though Australians aren't crying out for work. In the last three months, 614,000 Australian jobs have been destroyed and Australians have dropped out of the workforce. 60% of those have been women. Underutilisation, that's people who are not working as much as they could and want to, is running at 12.5% for men and 15% for women. Now, that only measures those who are in the workforce. The hundreds of thousands of people who have simply given up looking because there are no jobs available for them or the jobs that would be available wouldn't provide enough hours to make it worthwhile run to the hundreds of thousands. Those people are not counted in the underutilisation rates. Josh Frydenberg is failing on all the economic indicators. He's never met a wage growth target. 
the jobs that have been created since the pandemic started have been overwhelmingly casual and insecure. Josh Frydenberg continues to fail at his job. And that's why Josh Frydenberg continues to attack Victoria. It's a wonderful, wonderful distraction from being held to account for his own failures. Billions and billions wasted giving money to people like Jerry Harvey. Billions and billions not put where it was needed with job programs that were not properly targeted, properly constructed. And people's living costs going up while their wages going down. These are all failures of macroeconomic policy, policy that Josh Frydenberg is in charge of. And as I say, that's before we get into the vast amounts of waste that has occurred under his time as treasurer. The billions squandered on submarine projects ordered and cancelled and reordered with America. The billions squandered in pork barrel projects that allow the nationals to run around the country opening polo clubs and shooting ranges. Frankly, Josh Frydenberg's problem with Victoria is that Victorians want him to do his job properly, and he can't do it. Maybe we'll see at the next election a Josh Frydenberg who's a bit more pro-Victoria as he comes around cap in hand looking for our votes. But I wouldn't be surprised if we don't. At the end of the day, the Liberal Party needs to win seats in New South Wales, and we've seen that throughout the pandemic. Morrison's been quick to provide support to New South Wales, quick to praise Gladys Berejiklian, who had to resign in scandal, quick to work with Dominic Perrottet to provide more money as they reopen, quick to praise the reopening. Now, I hope that the reopening goes well. I've said that before, both in New South Wales and in Victoria. But there are risks, as we've seen in Singapore, Israel, the UK. Reopen too quickly, Reopen in an ad hoc way. Reopen when vaccination levels are not high across the whole population and you risk overwhelming the healthcare system. You risk the lives of people with a disability, people who have underlying health problems, people with cancer, people who are struggling to make ends meet, people who have to take additional risks in order to stay employed. None of the job security issues that were highlighted at the start of the pandemic as helping spread COVID-19 have been addressed. In fact, insecure work is worse now than it was then. If there is to be major outbreaks of new variants, if there are diminishment in vaccine coverage over time, then those factors, those underlying structural problems are still in place. And we could face a very difficult 2022. Now, hopefully I'm wrong, and hopefully all of the support lavished on New South Wales goes some way to helping them reopen safely. We can only hope that in Victoria and other parts of the country, we see the same kind of open-handedness from Josh Frydenberg. After all, he is supposed to be from Melbourne. Finally, I want to talk about Glasgow and COP26. From the 31st of October to the 12th of November, the world's leaders will gather to discuss how to address and tackle climate change. And of course, there's been much speculation here in Australia about whether or not Scott Morrison would attend. 
He seemed to think he was going to attend, then he wasn't going to attend. He was quite sure he wasn't attending. And finally, he seems to have been shamed into attending, firstly by Prince Charles, then by the Queen, who was later attacked in the Herald Sun. I mean, this woman is 95 years old. She's buried the love of her life and has to accept that Charles is her heir. I think begrudging her the occasional martini seems a little little tight-fisted and a little stingy to me. But also Dan Illich, the Australian comedian Dan Illich, who began a, a campaign, really, to raise money for billboards in Glasgow and targeted places around Australia, and who has managed to raise so much money that he was able to get on the Godzilla billboard in New York Times and has attracted global media attention around our... Uh, Colophile Dundee, which of course is what he's calling Scott Morrison. This is fantastic work. It puts a great deal of international pressure on Scott Morrison to stand up and be counted. We know that he's susceptible to this. We know he doesn't like to be put under pressure. And now we're seeing him try and put that pressure back onto the National Party, who are of course preventing any real action on climate change. They want numbers that don't exist. They want scenarios planned for that can't possibly be planned for. At the same time, they demand a sort of free marketeering. It's a very contradictory and quite strange approach that they have. The reality is, as we've discussed on the week on Wednesday, that what the Nationals are looking for is a price. And what they want is for Morrison to make an offer. Anyone who's ever studied negotiations or been involved in a negotiation knows that you want the other party to step first. You want them to make the first offer. And that's really what the Nationals are trying to do. Of course, when it comes right down to it, we have to get to net zero emissions. And frankly, We've seen Twiggy Forrest get up at the press club this week and talk about how important that is. We've seen unions talk about how important that is. Check out Michelle O'Neill's op-ed in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Michelle O'Neill, of course, president of the Australian Union Movement, president of the ACTU, makes the point that there are jobs to be had in clean energy technology. There are jobs to be had making the transition to net zero. If we do it properly, if we simply let things run randomly, then random things will happen. And we all know who suffers when random things happen. It's working people. There's no question about that. The most vulnerable are always most vulnerable to random acts of capitalism. Now, at Glasgow, we'll hear the UK wants to cut emissions by 68% by 2030, the US 50 to 52%, the EU 55%, Canada 40 to 45%, and Australia's target is only 26 to 28%. This, of course, is far, far too low. And one would expect that the next two weeks in Parliament, Parliament comes back on Monday, will have a big focus on climate. On Friday, we saw the school strike for climate, have activities around the country. Of course, with lockdown, they were significantly less attended than they have been in previous years. But the passion, the determination, the grit is still there. Young people, older people, all Australians want to see action on this. The rumour is that Scott Morrison presented to a joint party room meeting polling that suggested 80% of Australians want to see action on climate. 
It was also rumoured that he presented numbers that suggested that at $500 per person cost, the desire for action dropped off. And this is what we can expect from the climate deniers to say that there'll be $100 lamb roasts and $500 increase in power bills, all the same lines that have been trotted out since Tony Abbott repealed the carbon price. What we know is that all of that's a nonsense. We know it's a nonsense. We can create more jobs. We can lower living costs if we take advantage of the opportunities before us. We have more wind and more sun than almost any continent on Earth. We have coastline all to ourselves for wind and wave power. There's so many opportunities for Australia to embrace. We have the ability here to create green hydrogen, which is what Twiggy Forest is doing. We have the ability to have massive solar farms in the outback and then run sun cables to our cities. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll see some movement. But I think we'll probably need a change of government to make it happen. So that's the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday this week. I want to thank everybody who's listened to our shows. This is the 101st recording for the week on Wednesday. And it's been such a wonderful, wonderful ride. I know Van also wants to thank everybody. Please do share this, comment, like, discuss the issues with your friends. And don't forget that the union movement is doing the work on climate change. Like I said, and like we always say, there's never a better time to join your union than right now. So jump on australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday, to join your union. Because if you want real action on climate change, you want to be part of a movement for change. And that means joining your union. So remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.